If you enjoy this content, please support Unfound at Patreon, PayPal, or YouTube. On this episode, I discuss a woman who was missing, but who wasn't missing. I talk about two missing women in Colorado. I analyze crimes 3,000 miles apart. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including how I got hired at Star Trek The Experience. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for August 28th, 2023. Hello, everyone. How's everybody doing out there? It is Unfound Live for August 28th, 2023. I hope everybody is doing fantastically out there. I'm, I'm having a, uh, a pretty good week myself. Uh, it seems, of course, just like yesterday, as I think I say on every one of these live shows, that it seems like we just got together yesterday, but it's been a week, and the week has flown, and I hope it has flown for you as well. Uh, keeping busy here, uh, this is a very, um, you know, when it comes to Unfound in, in my workflow, it's a unique time of year because, of course, we just had an update episode, and uh, this Friday we'll be celebrating the seventh anniversary uh, of course, then that makes this time of year uh, very unique. And then on top of that, uh, Emily's been doing a great job, and, and dare I say, I've been doing a great job talking to a lot of people, and we're actually kind of several weeks ahead uh, when it comes to interviews and um, how September is uh, really set up right now. And and I and I, I think that this is m- m- maybe the the furthest we've uh, worked ahead in uh, maybe Unfound's existence of seven years. Uh, as you maybe know, a lot of times this is very much unlike I think many other podcasts out there of any genre. That a lot of times they do their recordings and interviews and things weeks if not months in advance of course depending on the topic and how timely the podcasters or whatever whereas i think that i've been more than open uh with all of you that a lot of times these interviews that you hear get done pretty close to when you hear them and i think that's one of the reasons eventually this is not something that I started uh, when I started Unfound uh, going back seven years, 2016. But you might notice, especially maybe for some of you who are new and have been like catching up from the beginning and, and trying to catch up to the present, at some point in there, maybe 2019, 2020, I started to actually announce the date when the interview is taking place. And I, I, I try to make sure I do that every interview that I do just to show you. All right, well, I'm listening to this 
uh, podcast on August 28th. And, oh, this interview was done a week ago. I think that maybe helps kind of keep everything in line for all of you. Well, I think within, you know, the next few weeks, you're going to hear about some disappearances where the interviews have already been done. And actually, these interviews have been are, are already done as of August 28th. So the episode that's coming out on September 8th, interview was done like over a week ago. Um, the interview uh, that you'll hear the episode for September 15th, that interview got done within like the last few days. This is very unusual. But dare I say it, um, you, that's probably going to kind of continue the rest of September as well. Uh, I have a conversation tomorrow morning. There's a woman uh, who I've been talking to uh, for quite a while who uh, whose brother went missing in California. And I've been talking to her for like four years. Well, I was just out of the blue within the last few days. Uh, she messaged me and so she says, you know, I, I think I'm ready to uh, do an a, a official interview on the record. She's still going through some things, and but I, I think we're going to make it happen this time. And so you never know how these things are going to go. So this is very much like, for example, uh, of course, with uh, the disappearance of Joel Acreage. I told you about how I had been talking to Patricia for like four years before we did an interview. This will be very much like that. Whereas like the conversation tomorrow morning that I'm going to be having uh, is somewhat new. I had contacted this Facebook page earlier this summer or something. And then just yesterday, I guess it would be, they got back to me. This is just how things work sometimes. So really, uh, 2023, if it has been unique in one way for Unfound, it's been that um, finding people to interview this year has been easier than all of the others. Maybe that's a factor of um, us being around this long or, or something. Maybe it's coming out of COVID and people are kind of getting back into the swing of things and they're ready to talk again. And I, you know, I really don't know, but this summer, you know, we kind of had something kind of right there at the beginning of June where a, a, an interview got set back a week. But since then, uh, it has been like the smoothest that has ever been. And, you know, I'll talk to anybody at any time. I enjoy talking to these people. We're trying to help. Um, and if I were to be able to talk to new people every day, I would be doing that. Of course, not usually possible. But uh, I'm always ready to talk. And so when people are ready to talk, uh, I get very, very excited. Uh, about that. And having done this now for almost seven years, still getting excited about that, um, it makes me feel really good because, of course, it, it makes me realize there's no burnout going on here. <laughs> there's some frustrations here and there, but there's certainly no burnout. So there you go. So this is just some of the things, you know, I, I'm thinking about is we're heading toward the seventh anniversary of Unfound. And I'll talk about that before uh, we are done tonight because that will be coming out 
this Friday. Let's see who uh, is in here now that we're a few minutes uh, into this show. Hello, Melody. Everything. Lori, go Cowboys. I'm just going to have to uh, live with that, I guess, tonight, especially since you are making a very, very generous donation tonight. Lori, thank you so much. Uh, Very cool of you to do so. Thank you so much. You are very generous. Good to see you. Deborah, hello, Deborah. And Charles is here. There's Charles, uh, nephew Charles, Charlotte, um, everything, Karen, Mary B., and, um, yeah, yeah, the Cowboys, uh, yes, uh, Lori says she was a fan. She's been 12. Yeah. Uh, of course being a Steelers fan, um, that of course is not going to sit totally right with me, Lori, but uh, I'll tell you this. I prefer the Cowboys over the Patriots and Ravens. Uh, just so you know. Um, all right. And Charles has one of his sons with him tonight. Jasmine. And uh, Mark, Kathy, Carrie, Assistant Carrie. Carrie got mentioned during the, the update episode this past Friday. And Sharon and The Real coming to us from Australia, where they just finished up the Women's World Cup. Coffee, what's going on? Yes, we're going to talk about a woman dis, uh, dis, uh, reappears. Twinkle, good to see you. Twinkle, the manager of Unfound's store. Good to Connie. Good to see all of you, Sarah and Delane. Good to see you, Delane. A lot of uh, familiar uh, people in here. Uh, hello, uh, Facebook user and Patty, the pro wrestling. Hello, pro wrestling. What's going on? The pro wrestling encyclopedia. Okay, I have to admit that is. Um, not something that I've ever really gotten into. Welcome, Pro Wrestling Encyclopedia. And I, I'm not sure. Uh, let's see here for a second. Sometimes I get these things a little confused. So let me just... Uh, and then Sheree is in here. By the way, if anybody wants to know the administrator or the moderator uh, is Sheree. And she goes by Charlie... And in the chat, and but if you're wondering who Charles is, that is my nephew. So even I get sometimes confused when I'm looking over at the chat, I may confuse the two. But Charlie is Sheree, my assistant Sheree, who makes sure everybody behaves. And Charles is my nephew, my sister Diane's son. Uh, Marty, oh man, Steelers, that's blasphemy. I'm a Bengals fan, Marty, just when we were getting along so well. I'm sorry to hear that. All right. So what do, um, where do I want to start? I already kind of uh, talked a little bit about unfound, but, uh, what is going on? Of course, um, we have a hurricane out there in the Gulf. And if you're wondering where it is right from where I'm sitting, I'm facing directly east. So the hurricane is like down in that direction right now. And I I really have to tell you, I think it's going to be much ado about nothing. Uh, Certainly it's going to be rainy here. Certainly it's going to be windy. But it's going to be off in the Gulf, uh, unfortunately, 
going up there, um, you know, to like the paint where that panhandle of Florida starts. That's where it seems like it's going to come ashore. I don't think it's going to be like a category four or five like they had uh, last year uh, down south of me, but it's going to be like a hurricane category two. Um, you know, sustained winds, uh, you know, over 110 miles an hour. Whereas I think here we'll get storm surge. It says between four and seven feet. And I think the winds will get up to about 50 to 60 miles an hour, something like that. Nothing really, uh, that I'm worried about. Although the only inconvenience for me is that they've uh, said that they are shutting down the elevators in this building starting tomorrow. And if any of you don't know, I live on the eighth floor. I suppose it could be worse. I could be on the 20th floor, but I am on the eighth floor. So I I have enough, you know, if the power goes out, I'll be fine. But just so, um, I didn't have to go out tomorrow or the next few days. I went and did some food shopping. And so I'm going to be fine, uh, for the foreseeable future. Once again, though, I think for this area, Clearwater Beach, St. Petersburg, Tampa, Sarasota, maybe even going a little north of me up to Tarpon Springs, Dunedin, Newport Ritchie, that area. It's going to be a little ugly weather, but I just don't think it's going to be anything dangerous. Of course, if you're going to be outside, you never know if there's some tree that's already a little weak. Of course, 50-mile-per-hour winds could break off some big limb of a tree that's already maybe rotted. You have to be um, conscious of those things and be very careful of that. Other than that, I just, um, for my area, I'm really not too worried about it. And, of course, uh, as I've talked about in past years when this has gone on, uh, I'm fully intent on – Uh, staying right here and riding anything out, even though I am about a, uh, I am in technically an evacuation zone. And it should be known that if things were, for example, if you don't know uh, the area, like two hours south of here, if you go down to like Venice, Florida, uh, Port Charlotte, Fort Florida, North, uh, Fort Myers area, going down that way, they got hammered last year. I mean, the water, the 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 water surge was like twenty feet or something, and uh, so many homes and everything got just caught, like, completely wiped out down there. Maybe you've seen some of the videos from that area. Maybe even live streaming that was going on at the time, or the devastation after the hurricane went through. I mean, really horrible down that direction. That could easily happen out up here under the same conditions because all these, we got some very, very expensive houses out here in Bel Air Beach, especially to the south of me. And if that were to happen, all, all those things would be gone. So certainly anytime there's a hurricane, we have to watch out for these things, but I don't think it's going to be this time. And even so... If something like that of that magnitude were would be here, I still believe I would be safe in this building. If I had a house and I was down there and uh, I was only about seven, eight, nine feet 
above sea level, the Gulf of Mexico, then I would be really, 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 really worried. But even under the like the worst of circumstances, being up on here on the eighth floor, uh, I, I'm sure I'll be fine, although the power would probably go out. And I have parked my car on the second floor just, you know, just in case. So that's what's going on uh, the way I see it with uh, the hurricane Idalia, I-D-A-L-I-A, that is coming up kind of um, to the west of Cuba, kind of going in a very almost straight north, maybe a little north, northeast direction right now. Going to be going by here, I think, Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. And we'll see what happens. I just, I think still, like I said, I think it's a much ado about nothing. Uh, Twinkle says, as long as you're not a hating on the Chiefs. Uh, I like the Chiefs more than a lot of teams, Twinkle, but I don't know if I would put them in my top five. Um, hello, Leah. What's going on, Leah? Good to see you. And go Ravens. Mary says, go Ravens. Oh, my goodness. Oh, uh, the Iron Sheik. Now they're talking pro wrestling here. Um, that's funny. And Mary, I have a friend in Point de Gorda. It looked bad there too. People were still recovering. Yeah, Point de Gorda. Good point, Mary. Uh, yeah, la- last year. And and Point de Gorda has gotten hit and got hit maybe two or three times in the last six years or something. But last year was the worst. It it, it was the worst one as far as since I've lived here in Florida. And so what you're saying is this isn't the ultimate time to come to the Florida beaches. Well, the, you know, the thing about it is, Carrie, it all depends where you're going to go. Uh, if you're going to be going down south of me, then it's even going to be better down that. And, and the thing about these hurricanes, my experience, is that as long as there isn't this devastation, um, you can go down there a, a few days later after hurricanes gone through and be just fine. Now, all of you, if you're kind of new to Unfound or new to this live show, you might remember from a few years ago, it wasn't last year, but was it 2021 or 2020, that a hurricane or a tropical storm or something came up. And where I used to live, if you were been around Unfound long enough to where I used to live down in Madeira Beach, that place I lived in got flooded. There was like three or four feet of water in that place. And my landlord uh, had to completely, and she lives next door, so she got flooded too. So she had to totally, totally, totally redo that whole thing. Uh, and I, I've, I've seen it. I've gone down. I, I keep in contact with her. I've actually seen it. My old place looks really nice now. But if I'd have been in there, I would have lost everything. I mean, I would have saved my computers and everything, but it would have been pretty, pretty ugly. So uh, I, I dodged that by moving up here in 2019. So very sad. And she uh, has dumped a, a ton of money into that, but that's okay. She lives in a prime spot, a piece of property that she lives on. She's doing okay. Uh, but yeah, the, the devastation and everything is just, and I think it was a little bit unexpected as well. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen this time around because we are supposed to get some storm surge here uh, along the coast. Will four to seven feet be enough? 
to cause flooding down in Madeira Beach? Hard for me to say. Um, Carrie says, I remember you remember that down. Yeah, the yeah, uh, me talking about that. Yeah. Um, who freaks out? Uh, the bowling with cotton balls. That's funny. Well, who, well, who, what, uh, who freaks out more, the younger crowd or the older crowd about these storms, in your opinion? You know, bowling, it's it's hard to say because I don't know a lot of people out here live at, at, at the beach. I suppose if you're a homeowner out here, certainly means you're going to be older. And if we are thinking about a storm surge that comes up over the beach and gets up over the sand dunes and the water comes inland, then I, I suppose you'd be pretty, pretty, pretty worried about that. Uh, so you don't have a lot of young people living out here who actually own houses, once again, due to the price of everything out here. You may have people that rent, like I do, but if you're in a renting situation, if the building gets trashed, you might you lose some things, but you're not the one that's going to have to put all the money back into it and fight with the insurance company and everything else. It, bowling, it's just hard for me to say. You know, a lot of older people are like, you know, I've seen it. I've done it. And it might be the opposite. They start worrying about everything they've worked for and everything. I think it's just – I just don't have enough information. Uh, Patch from England. Wow, must be well into August 29th in English, Patch. Good to uh, – Dark is also from England. Oh, my goodness. A couple people from England, and then we got uh, we got the real from Australia. So, man, we are covering the globe Tonight, the British, uh, I guess the former British Empire. Okay, and one more thing before I get to a lot of true crime stuff tonight. Um, I have a tournament in Orlando this coming weekend. Look, really, really, really looking forward to that. The storm uh, is not going to get in, that, in the way of that at all. And uh, I should be back here next Monday for Labor Day. Um to do the live show. I'll be back here, but I'll be there. Um, leave here Saturday morning. I'll get back here sometime Monday afternoon, somewhere in there. So it's called the Southeastern uh, Amateur Championships. It's on Orlando. I'll be playing three different courses over three days. So one round Sunday, Saturday, one round Sunday, and one round Monday. I'm feeling pretty good about it right now. I'm feeling pretty good about my game. I think I'm going to play well. It's a big tournament. A lot of players in my division. If I could finish in the, like the top 10 or 15% of my division, I think that I'd be feeling pretty good. All right, moving on. Let's get to some true crime stuff. There was no uh, poll this week, uh, given it that it was update episode. Really no polling to do. So I'm um, not going to start there tonight, but I will start here. And this is actually an article that I wanted to get to last week, but I just ran out of time. And it has to do with this woman who went missing and then was found murdered in rural Maryland. So I'm going to read this to you. Days after a woman was found brutally murdered. Now, you should keep in mind this is articles from a couple weeks ago, but they've still not caught this guy. 
Days after a woman was found brutally murdered in a rural in rural Maryland, DNA evidence has linked the crime to a suspect wanted in a home invasion in Los Angeles earlier this year. So we have a crime in Maryland. We have a crime in Los Angeles, 3,000 miles between these in a fairly close time frame of March to August. Rachel Morin, 37 years old, was reported missing on August 7th after she went for a nature walk in Harford County, Maryland. The mother of five's body was found the following day along a popular hiking trail near the town of Bel Air. Morin's killing was particularly violent, investigators said. On Thursday, authorities in Maryland announced that DNA evidence had connected Morin's murder with a man wanted for assaulting a young girl during a March home invasion in Los Angeles. Video shared during a press conference Thursday, and this is a couple Thursdays ago, then later shared on social media showed a man identified as the suspect leaving a home during the L.A. home invasion. Yes, they actually have video of this guy. The suspect has been described as a man in his 20s who is of Hispanic descent and stands around 5'9". The LAPD later confirmed that the assault and break-in happened on March 26th in the jurisdiction of the 77th Division, which encompasses part of South Central Los Angeles. The LAPD is in contact with authorities in Maryland and offering assistance with their homicide investigation while simultaneously pursuing leads related to the March break-in. Anyone with information either uh, regarding either case is urged to contact the LA Regional Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. So I have to tell you that this story strikes me as being particularly unique. I think any time when scientifically, not rumors, you know, I might go back to the Israel Keys days, although I think people are trying to keep uh, memories of him going and going and going maybe forever. But going back to the Israel Keys days, this was maybe talked about a lot more than it is now. This idea of somebody or group committing crimes across the United States and you know thousands of miles between crimes and getting away with it because why? Because you don't think that a crime that is committed in Florida is going to be connected to a crime that's committed in the state of Washington. They're 3,000 miles away. And even if there are similarities, other than just a theory and rumors and everything else, Usually not a much uh, – that's really all it is. It's talk that happens on Reddit and web sleuths, and people like to discuss these things. What, what are the possibilities? And certainly with Israel Keys coming along and what people believe about him, although I'm not inclined to necessarily believe it, but then attaching somebody like Israel Keys to a lot of different unsolved disappearances, unsolved murders – Incidents that seem to be very out of the ordinary for an area, you know, a, a peaceful area, and then all of a sudden a woman is raped or something like that. And they start thinking, could it be from somebody outside of the area? Could somebody have gone into that area, done this, and then gone to a totally different area 
and done the same thing. It seems here this is beyond rumor and, and uh, conjecture that there is actually scientific evidence to connect these two different crimes. Now, what something that jumps out to me right away is that you have the rape, I guess, uh, of a female under 18. It says a girl in this uh, story. Maybe it's more descriptive in other stories out there. So you have a rape in South Central Los Angeles back in March of a girl. She was not murdered. She was raped. She's still alive. But then 3,000 miles away, and it seems like that happened in where this girl lives. And then 3,000 miles away, you have a totally different, what we might call, modus operandi. You have a a grown woman, a 37-year-old, who wasn't at home. She was out for a walk in this park. And she isn't. She probably was raped. She wasn't just raped. She was murdered. It's like totally different. But DNA connects both of them. This is, uh, even though I specialize in disappearances, this even catches uh, my attention. It certainly does. And maybe, and this is being that this has been out, I, this, uh, she, uh, Rachel was murdered on August 7th. As you can tell, this has been around three weeks now. I'm sure many of you who follow news like this have seen this story And I'm guessing it kind of caught your attention as well. Something else that comes to mind and certainly relevant to a topic that I've discussed, uh, you know, I don't know, three, four, five times since it occurred, but the disappearance of Suzanne Morphew. I know a lot of you believe that her husband, Barry, murdered her. And I'm not here to get in the way of that. I, I really... Personally, I'm not very sure, but you should know that Rachel herself has a man in, in, in her life, and of course, he has been excluded because of DNA, even though it's well documented in the last few weeks, he and Rachel had a turbulent relationship, and he does have a criminal records with some violent charges on there, and you know, let's think about it. If we didn't have this DNA, if this story was different, what would we all be thinking? That the boyfriend did it. Why? Because of everything I just talked about. But we now know due to science that he didn't. Very so. This is why when it comes to these kind of situations that it makes all the sense in the world that Barry Morphew killed Suzanne Morphew. Could lauded we could you know she was cheating on him I guess maybe he was cheating on her and, uh, all, all sorts of reasons but it also means we can't ignore crimes incidents that are similar where it shows that it's not exactly automatic it's not even though this seems to be the kind of same exact scenario. Now, I realize a lot of you believe that it was all set up. Susan Morphy or bikes out there. Well, Barry staged that. Very well could be. But how is Susan Morphy's disappearance any different than Rachel Morin, M-O-R-I-N, uh, getting murdered? There, there isn't a lot. And in fact, you could say that Rachel Morin, her, the man in her life, has a much worse history 
than Barry Morphew does. It's just, these are the things we always have to remember. And even though I, I'm the guy that's come up with uh, the idea of the, the description of one of the kinds of disappearances that we cover on Unfound, the man said, I guess once in a while we have to remember is sometimes it's not the man that did it. We have to remember that. Just something to throw out there. Once again, we're all learning. I'm learning. You're learning. If there's any knowledge that I have, I want to pass it along. We should always think critically about these things. We should never jump to conclusions too quickly. I just want to now read what everybody's uh, saying here. Um, uh, going back to Hurricane, they have, yes, it's uh, so sad to see what weather can do in Florida waters makes it spectacular, can turn ugly very, and it turns ugly very quickly, Mary. And I'll get to watch it tomorrow as the weather changes. Uh, thank you, Marty. Uh, Lori says, yeah, uh, yes, there is a video of the guy coming out of the house uh, in Los Angeles, uh, in LA. Yes, in Los Angeles, Lori, yes. Yeah, um, that case is what makes me believe that Jesse Foster's case could be related to the Gilgo Beach killer. Right, so Charlotte is even taking this a step further than what I've already discussed. If you, you know, this is, of course, Jesse Foster going way back to the beginning. Of course, maybe it's kind of relevant tonight, given that I just talked about Jesse during the uh, update episode with her in connection to the Gilgo killer. Makes all the sense in the world that her pimp, Jesse's pimp, killed her. For all we can pick all sorts of reasons that are all horrible, very sad. What Charlotte's saying is, you know, we can't jump to that conclusion because of the Gilgo Beach killer. The only thing I would say to that is I'd certainly like to see some paperwork as to where the Gilgo Beach killer uh, was at the time of Jesse's disappearance. Will we ever know that information publicly? I don't know. Uh, Art says maybe a migrant who got bussed from L.A. to the D.C. area. Is that, you know, once again, I'm not here to get into politics or anything else, but are they busing people from California to the Maryland area? You know, I hear a lot about buses going from Texas to California. I hear a lot. I've read a lot about buses going from my state of Florida to New England. I don't know if there are any buses going uh, from California to the Maryland area. Maybe if there is, uh, that's news to me. I don't, I don't know, but I, I guess we have to. Maybe be open to it, given that seems to be a thing going on in the United States right now. Uh, Twinkle says, I've been following the Moran murder. I agree. The situation is unique. Okay, Twinkle, you have been following it. I didn't know that. The case is so strange that it makes me think there was some kind of mistake with the DNA. Wow. So Twinkle is going so far as to say the 3,000 miles between them, you know, makes her think, is this really what we're saying? Uh, of course, Twinkle, you know, you're very educated uh, regarding all of this. You've been part of the think tank since day one and everything, as you would realize, that would be a hack of a DNA mistake. I mean, when you have humans involved, any, I guess any mistake is possible. That would be a big one. I mean, that would be some, I think some heads would really roll there, but can't rule it out. Uh, I'm not leaning that way, but that's interesting that that comes to mind that is how bizarre it is for you, Twinkle. Interesting. I've always believed that Susan Morphy was probably killed by her husband. Okay, Charlotte, as a, a lot of people do. Absolutely. Now, I will tell you, um, 
there are other some other things, you know, when we look at Rachel's murder that come to mind. Now, um, you should know, uh, this is, once again, you know that trying to get to know the missing person, you know, sometimes we talk about some topics that are a little uncomfortable. We, you know, we have to talk about addictions and we have to talk about criminal history and mental health in attempt to get the person. Well, here's some things maybe we need to consider regarding Rachel's murder. She had a boyfriend, but she was on multiple dating sites. And I'm wondering what comes to mind is that was Rachel some kind were, – were they like in the swinging community? Did they have like the, the pineapple sign or whatever hanging in their window? If all of you know about that, I have no knowledge of any of that stuff. I just know about it. I, I view it from afar. But was that – was this something that she and her man were involved in because she was on multiple dating sites? So like – you know, I don't I only use any of those. But like Tinder and Bumble and Grinder or whatever the, all the other ones are, maybe even more of the run of the mill ones like match.com or something. It was were they involved in some sort of swinging type of thing? Or was she some sort of prostitute? I mean, really, what is a woman who has a man in life they're living together, Why? what is she doing on these sites? Exactly what's going on. I'm not here to judge people's private lives. They, they want to do whatever they can do, but this is something that we have to consider. Is it possible that the killer met her through one of these dating sites? And she really wasn't going for a walk she was actually going to meet this guy in the park to do adult things. And then, of course, when she gets there, this guy is actually a killer. This is how these things happen. This is how women who are involved in this uh, – in doing this, this is how they end up This is getting murdered. You know, this is what happened if we – you know, with the Gilgo Beach killer, with Gary Ridgway and a whole bunch of other – Serial killers. This is how it happens. They find it on Craigslist or going back to the day, just pick them up off the street. They go somewhere. The woman thinks they're going there to do this and to do that. No, the guy kills her. And given that we kind of know these things about Rachel, I don't know. She might not. I'm not here to judge. Okay. I'm not here to judge, but you've got a woman in a relationship, multiple dating sites. Uh, and dare I say it, um, if you've seen her, a very attractive woman, but dare I say almost a little too attractive, dare I say, these are some, some things that come to mind. And are they trying to kind of whitewash it a little bit by just saying, you know what? She went out for a walk and she got attacked. Whereas... Having done this for seven years, and I look at the, the total scope of this, is it possible that she was going to meet this guy? Of course, not knowing that um, 
you know, this wasn't a guy that was looking uh, for SEX. He was looking for, you know, to kill, to, to kill a woman. So this is something that's on my mind. I have no proof of this at all, but it's, and I'm not revealing any, I don't, I haven't thought, I haven't talked to anybody in Rachel's family or anything. I'm just looking at the news like all of you are looking at it. And this stuff is out there. And we do know that one of the ways that women who are in that uh, business do that is through dating. Through these apps. You know, they've moved away from Reddit. They've moved away from Craigslist. They've gone to the dating apps and the dating apps crack down and they'll go somewhere else. And then the dating apps will get a little lax and then they'll be back. They'll go to Instagram, all of this stuff. They are persistent. So um, let me uh, see here uh, what everybody is saying. Uh, Deborah says swinging. All right. So Deborah's thinking maybe that's what they were involved in. Uh, Delane says, I had a tank top with pineapples on it not long ago. And Kevin informed me what that stands for now. Well, if you're going to be get told, it's good to maybe be told by someone uh, who you know instead of some stranger coming up to you, Delane. Uh, I think she may have been living a risky lifestyle. Twinkle, that's kind of what it sounds like to me too. Uh, swingers, yeah, the the pineapple um, thing. If you you know we're we're uh, you know educating Deborah, I guess tonight. Maybe some of also some of you. That uh, within the swinging community, the the pineapple is the code. Let's just that is like the emoji or whatever else. And just like uh, once again, this is a family show. Just like we know that sometimes um, uh, eggplant of uh, the emoji is used for something. You know that, yeah, yeah. Everybody getting an education. You never know what you're going to hear when you come tune into the live show on Monday nights. <laughs> uh, I'm out of the loop. I didn't know about the pineapple thing. Well, now you know, Twinkle. Uh, with more than one person, you know, this could go off track. Bowling is saying, "Yeah, I'm trying to keep it on track." Bowling. Yeah. Uh, yep. Everybody. Well, more people than I thought do not know about the pineapple thing. And here I am, the single guy who uh, never leaves his uh, condo telling everybody about this. I guess I guess know too much. So there you go. So this is something that I'm open to. I'm guessing uh, that this is something that investigators will uh, look into regarding Rachel. And the other topic we can't ignore is we have to be open to the idea that this guy has done things elsewhere as well. I mean, if he's going to commit these crimes 3,000 miles away from each other, you know, what about that 3,000 miles in between? What I'd like to know more, of course, would like to know more about what exactly went on in L.A. Because it's weird to me, if you've watched that video, that it's not like he's running away. It's not like he got caught in the act and is running. He's just kind of... I mean, he doesn't have a shirt on, but it's not like he's running away and the door's open. He's kind of backing out of the front door, and he doesn't seem to be in a rush at all. And you can kind of just see part of his face. I'd want to know more about how that occurred. 
what exactly went on there. I realized that the victim is underage, but still, you know, just the general idea of what happened. This guy just showed up at a random house. Um, did they suspect that the guy knew somebody who lived there? doesn't seem even, uh, of course, that happened way back in March. It doesn't seem anything like that has been made public. And I think if we knew more about that, then we might be able to put a few more pieces together regarding Rachel's murder in Maryland, even though the victims are totally different and the modus operandi is totally different. I'd like to know more about what exactly happened in LA. So that is um, that story. And I guess what I'm saying here is that I just get the feeling for both of these, these are not necessarily random that he just randomly picked a house where a 12 year old was to rape her in LA. In addition, what are the odds that he's in this park and he just happens to encounter an attractive woman allegedly walking through the park at that time. What are the odds? So some things to think about regarding this. And like I said, I've been meaning to get to this. This might've been uh, an article from actually two weeks ago. I, I think I missed it two weeks ago and then I didn't get to it last week. So it was on top of my agenda for tonight, the murder of Rachel Morin and then the rape of this uh, girl in LA that occurred back in March and then rape uh, Rachel was murdered uh, uh, at the very close to the beginning of this month. Let's see what everybody is saying here. Uh, Carrie says, uh, Mark, wait, 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 wait. Don't start with the yard flamingos. Bowling says, I, Okay. And Mark, you're educating me too. Sounds like I shouldn't wear any clothing with a food item on it. That's always a good choice, Mark. Uh, Carrie says, some of us are innocent to know about those apps. Yeah, okay, Carrie. Uh, Leah says, I just recently found out about it. Um, Bowling says, he's very casual sinking out. Yeah, Bowling's talking about this video. The video is on YouTube if you want to check it out. And you'll see what I'm saying is not what you would expect. He does not look like a a guy who is leaving a scene where he just raped a girl. It actually even looks like as he's backing out of the door, it actually even looks like he's talking to somebody, even though there's no audio. I have no idea. Like I said, I'd like more context to all this. Um, The guy easily could have left the area because of the video and shown up 3,000 miles away. Lori, some say maybe the girl in the house tricked him into leaving. I guess maybe I'd like just like to know what the actual story is. And, you know, some people are saying, I just like to know what the actual truth is. Um, bowling depends how many legs they're standing on. That's all I know regarding flamingos. I don't think we want to go, you know, we've already broached the subject of pineapples and eggplants tonight. Um, we'll just maybe leave it at that. All right. Let me go to a question. And this actually, this question came in. Um, and I have a couple questions to answer from Stacy tonight. One that is not true crime related and one that is kind of, kind of, kind of true crime related, but I'm going to answer, 
Uh, Alex question. Uh, he submitted this maybe only uh, less than an hour before the show started tonight. So I'm going to answer his question. And the question is, is there a legislative, is there a legislative change that could be made to help slow the rate of individuals going missing? If so, what do you think it is? I'll answer uh, that part first. I, Alec, I really don't think so. Um, I guess this all depends on your attitude toward government and your attitude toward the law. Um, we just have to realize that as many laws as we have in the United States, you know, trying making a lot of actions and decisions illegal, those things still happen. All right. Even though we have laws against murder, murder still happens. Even though we have laws against rape, rape still happens. People still choose to do these things, car theft and everything else. And this is why we have jails. So we have to think, I mean, it's hard to imagine what we're going to make, you know, is it illegal for people to go missing? I I really don't think that that is going to change anything. Um, What I think would change this is getting a better handle first on the mental health crisis that we have in the United States. And once again, I realize that everybody's just going to think, well, we need to pass laws. I don't think laws are going to do it. I think that this is something that, because a lot of times when you do something like that, it's just like a feel-good thing. We're going to pass this law and everybody feels great about it. And really nothing changes. Or we're just going to throw, you know, politicians can say, we're going to throw a bunch of money at this problem. Look how much money we spent um, on raising the awareness of disappearances and raising the awareness about mental health and all this stuff. And that doesn't change either. It more has to go along. People themselves have to choose to take an interest in this. They have to find some sort of sympathy, empathy, understanding, something like that themselves. Um, that, that would certainly cut into all of this. And I, you know, there's no law. I'm not a person that believes that everything is necessarily going to get fixed by law, even though on the other hand, I'm not a guy that believes that drugs should be legal. Uh, but for a, a little bit of a, of a different reason. But so once again, is there a legislative change that could be made to help slow the rate of individuals going missing? If so, what do you think it is? What's going slowing it down is understanding why we have some of the mental health crises that we have in the United States that didn't exist 50 years ago. That would put a little bit of a dent in the rate of disappearances. It would certainly put a rate, a dent in the rate of suicide in the United States, which is worse than when I was born in 1970. These things would cut disappearances down, even though I realize on the other hand that mental health and suicides do not make up a a huge piece of the overall disappearance 
puzzle. That's not what, you know, now that we've covered over 300 disappearances on Unfound, we have a random sample of disappearances. And I don't know how many of those can necessarily be connected to mental health and suicide. Certainly a, a few of them. But I think we can do more in that area. Now, as far as drugs, this is once again one of those things that I think that my opinion is that if you make drugs, just do them anytime that you want. You're certainly going to have more overdoses. You're certainly going to have more disappearances connected to drugs. There's no doubt in my mind about that. So I think that the way the law is regarding this is the way it has to stay. I also worry about the morality of a country where you just say, well, you're just, you know, we're just going to let poison, you know, dominate the streets. I think it says something about a civilization where people just say, yep, we're just going to let substances that are no good. They exist for no other reason than to kill people just flow freely out in the streets and everything else. I think that says something very immoral about a civilization, any sort of uh, country like that. So regarding the disappearances, we have to more, you know, what I'm trying to do, trying to understand them. And it's kind of like a, uh, a multi-pronged thing. It's not just about solving, you know, or it's about stopping people from going missing. It's about why do people go missing? To be able to do anything, you have to understand why people go missing. And this is something that I still don't think law enforcement really understands at all. So if you don't understand why people go missing and the percentages and everything, there's nothing anybody can do, even if somebody wanted to pass a law that was going to mean anything. If you don't know why it happens, then what law exactly are you going to pass? So in addition to that, you have to understand why people go missing and they stay missing. And then on top of that, how do these disappearances get solved? It's, it's a lot of things put together. Um, so then moving on, what is the single largest mistake law enforcement makes when investigating a disappearance? Easy. They don't, they don't know what they're looking at when they encounter it. Or as I state in presentations that I've done, you have to know it when you see it. Police officers, investigators have to be like doctors. When you go to see your doctor and says, and you say to the doctor, here are the problems that I'm having. If the doctor is good, yes, you'll probably still have to go get some tests at a specialist. You have to get some x-rays or an MRI. But with just a, with a few questions, a general practitioner will be able to narrow it down to just a few choices. This is where we need to get when it comes to disappearances, and we're not there. This is the biggest mistake. They don't know it. They don't know what to ask. They don't know what they're looking at. Every disappearance is treated the same. That's the biggest mistake. And this is one of the reasons that, you know, a few years ago, I thought, you know what? I, I think a, a good way for me to understand disappearances and for all of you to dis to understand them is we need to start putting these in categories. And that's, of course, what I've started to do. We can't look at them all the same. So what, what's the other choice? You put them in the categories based on what we know about them, looking at individual disappearances, looking at the person who went missing, 
And then you look at the circumstances and try to see if there are similarities across disappearances, even if they're disconnected by 30 years and 3,000 miles. And what have we shown? There are a ton of similarities. There's a ton of dissimilarities too, and that's why you have different categories. But when you have different categories and you start realizing people go dis- missing for different reasons, you can give that information to investigators. And then when they show up, it's like a checklist. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, this is that type of disappearance. And this is what we need to know. And it's not enough to just know about people who have gone missing and stayed missing. You also have to know a little bit about missing persons cases that were eventually solved and why they got solved and where those people were. Was it foul play? Was it suicide? Was it this? Was it that? And law enforcement has no knowledge. All of you, if you've been listening to Unfound, I'm just going to say two years. You have more of a database of missing persons in your head than any police officer anywhere. I'll just speak for my country in the United States has. For sure. It's not, it's not even, a, there's no doubt in my mind about that. That's a problem. It's a problem. So what is everybody um, saying here? Uh, um, Charlotte says, reminds me of the red light on the porch or in the window. Uh, Does that mean something, Charlotte? Delane, you can actually see her hand on the door briefly. Yeah, I think you're right, Delane. Going back to the prior story I was talking about. Guy's cell phone was on, so you could see it light up in his pocket. Remember the song Roxanne? I do. Uh, big police fan. Mental health hurts a lot of families, Shelly. It certainly does. While wow, New Zealand. So we got an Aussie and a New Zealander in the chat tonight. Hazel, so great uh, to see you. I, I want you to know that um, you know the Women's World Cup was, of course, just there. And I watched most of those games. And they, uh, they showed a lot of the, uh, you know, you have a beautiful country down there. You're very fortunate. Uh, Sarah agrees with Pete. Hello, I agree with you, Ed. Okay, Sarah, thank you. It's always a good job to agree with me. Uh, who was the young man who was dropped off in the country and went to a school and stayed all night there and then disappeared? Uh, not went to a school and stayed all night there and then disappeared. Not ringing a bell right away, Charlotte. Uh, my, uh, my ex-husband and current husband are both by hope polar and at times it's very challenging. I'm sure it is. Uh, Sarah says there've been many overdoses in my area late, lately. I would like to know why people come up missing too. There've been many overdoses. I wonder how many drugs plays in the mental health crisis in the world. Quite a bit. Law enforcement doesn't take it seriously, especially when it comes to missing teens. Carrie walking away is not illegal. Causing one is already illegal. Legislation doesn't help. Not going to help. Uh, example would be Craig Freer. Yep. Sarah, Charlotte agrees with Carrie. Uh, a lot of police departments discredit people who are reported missing when it's only been a few hours. They do because a lot of different reasons. One of the reasons being that their experience tells them that that person will be back in an, in an hour or, or a couple of days anyway. So why bother? Yet then, you know, they make that decision. And then when that person doesn't come back, they don't know what to do. If you're going to do that, you know, to police departments out there, if you're going to blow off a disappearance because you think the person's going to come back in a couple days and then that person doesn't come back, 
to me, you then become responsible. More than just investigating it, the, there should be some, I don't know, civil liability or something like that. Because, once again, they blow it off and then never have to pay any consequences for that. It's wrong. If any of us did that in any of our jobs, we would be fired by blowing off a problem. But they get away with it. Uh, AB, you're, uh, you're welcome. Uh, that's you, Alec. Good to see you. Uh, there you go. Uh, you're, wel- you're welcome. Charlie told his mom that he was with two friends and he was going to go for a hike. Uh, Charlotte Sky, Tossic. Uh, yeah, that would be the one. That's right, Kathy. Thank you. Please only try to find children and women. I've seen it so many times, Shelly says. Okay. So that is the answer to Alex's question. And Alex, Alec, I'm glad that you could join us tonight. Let me just go through um, some unfound stuff. And then I have a couple uh, new, other news stories that I want to talk about. And I have to answer a, a non- true crime question and a kind of, like I said, a true crime question. And I got an hour to go, so I better get on this. Uh, update episode. Uh, well received as usual. Um, although a couple people were not very pleased with my Nick, Nicholas Masucci, uh, my comments that I made in the Nicholas Masucci section of the update episode. Um, here's what I know. I am never going to stop talking about ethics when it comes to covering true crime. I'm never, ever, ever, never, ever, never, I'm never going to stop talking about that. Everybody just better get used to it. Everybody just better get used to it. Um, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about this during the think tank light last night. Once again, if you'd like to join the think tank, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And by the way, something I haven't mentioned yet, hit the thumbs up button for tonight. Or if you're watching on Facebook, uh, give this a thumbs up or a heart, whatever you can do over there. Do not forget to do that. Kind of got away from that a little bit tonight. Please like, uh, and subscribe to this channel as much as you can. Tell your friends and neighbors about this live show. Tell them about the podcast. Tell them about this YouTube channel on and on and on if you could. But in the think tank last night, to get into the think tank, once again, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. Sign up at the premium level, $12 a month or above. We, you know, I talked a little bit about that and I, I, and I asked those people, you know, is this something that, I need to be doing. And I think the consensus was yes. There, somebody has to do this because there is a lot of, there are many unethical people. I'm not saying what they're doing is illegal. I'm not saying what they're doing is immoral, but when it comes to being a reporter with a microphone, with a camera, if you're going to involve yourself in a very, very serious topic that could be connected to murder. You have to know when the cameras should be on and when the cameras should be off and when the microphone should be recording and when the microphone should not be recording. You need to know this. Remember the goal is to solve these issues. The goal is not to entertain people and get footage 
for a podcast, for your YouTube channel, or whatever else. That is not the goal. The goal is to do whatever it takes to solve it. And dare I say, that sometimes means keeping the camera off. And to that person who wrote and said, well, you know, they, you know they're public servants. They get to film us. There's a difference. The difference is this. When the police use their badge cams and their dash cams, they do that for the benefit of themselves and the suspect, as we've seen many times over the last few years, where cameras have picked up police lying about what happened and cameras picking up uh, lying from victims as well. It goes both ways. Those cameras are there to protect both sides. Whereas when YouTubers are turning on their cameras, they're the only ones who are benefiting. That's the difference. That's the difference. It's not equal. Just because everybody has a camera doesn't mean they all get to turn them on for the same reasons. Remember that. And as I gave the example during my update episode, I don't just call people up and start recording them without their permission. <laughs> First of all, that's illegal in Florida anyway. But there are states where it's a one-party state, and I could do that. I still wouldn't do that. I still wouldn't do that. But people who just show up and the cameras are rolling, rolling, because you know what? They're hoping to get something good. Man, I hope, really hope I get something good, dramatic, and everything so everybody can see it. That is contrary to solving a problem. Me, I'm about solving problems. So I, get, I ask permission to record anybody. Even though if I really wanted to be underhanded and do something that's illegal here in Florida, never done it, I could record people and they would never know. But I would never do that. So, um, so people, some people were not happy about that. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to let them keep talking because I'm convinced the more they talk, the more they just more prove my point. I'm more than happy to let people continue to, to, you know, let them talk when I know they're not helping their cause. So they're just going to keep talking. Um, there you go. Um, Carrie says, that's what's stressing about Arizona Department. Uh, no report, even after they knew Paul disappeared, they are technically civilly liable. Uh, it's going back to the Paul Sanders disappearance that was talked about in the update episode. Shelly says, thank you for your help and the way you handled our missing. Uh, Shelly, you're, you're very welcome. Good to see you. And everybody should know, everybody sees Shelly in the chat. Uh, you will see, you will see and hear Shelly and her husband, Daryl, in an upcoming episode of Unfound. And Shelly, it's so good to... Uh, Thank you for making time on this Monday night uh, to watch this live show. Thank you. Uh, Deborah, great podcast, but I do disagree with Chris Miller case big time. But if we all thought alike, this would be boring. Well, I'm not, like I said, I, I don't argue theories, you know, with people. We can certainly discuss them. I will just tell you, Deborah, I've, I've seen, you know, you kind of, I think maybe brought this up last week when I brought it up. You know, I, I've seen, I, I went out and found those stories. I have to admit, I'm just not convinced by them. This seems like, Stories we get in a lot of disappearances where you think, oh, man, this sounds so like a big deal, and then nothing comes of it. It seems like that right now. Tomorrow, it could be different. Rock Detective Maine has been good on speaking out true crime ethics as well, so quite worked up at times on the issue. 
Well, that's nice of him. Good for him. Awesome. Dark, in the UK, we can record anything we can see. That's true, Dark, but it's one of those things just because you can doesn't mean you should. Which, once again, as a reporter, as somebody who's trying to solve something and be constructive, doing something that is constructive to solving a disappearance, whether there was a crime kinder entered or not, you have to know those situations. And that's what ethics is about. Uh, Kathy, okay, I found a way last night to watch your missing chapters. Oh, okay, great. Kathy found it. All right, very good. Uh, some other things. Um, today I worked a little more on how to podcast better than anyone. I haven't been talking about it because I'm going to be adding some chapters, just tweaking just a few things there. And I finally got most of it done today. So I think within the next week, uh, I'll be that'll be all up and running uh, again. And I'll be talking about it more. I'll be doing some more Google ads again and uh, be pushing that for the rest of 2023. I hope some of you will um, take part in the course or spread the word uh, to others who maybe want to get into podcasting. It's a course. It's going to be like over five hours eventually. A lot of my experience, I talk about problems that I ran into, you know, creating Unfound and, and everything else. So I haven't really been talking about it this month because of, I'm planning on adding some things as will help with my assistant, Eric, with some of his suggestions. And, um, but within the next week, uh, it will surely be coming back. Um, Unfound Now, you can be looking for another episode of Unfound Now, a very recent disappearance I'll talk about. I think uh, before we get to the next live show, and for Patreon and YouTube supporters, uh, the newest episode of Found is out, Kimberly Kessler. And if some of you don't know, uh, I think many of you already know who Kimberly Kessler is. She's a woman who murdered Julian Cummings over there in the Jacksonville area back in 2018. Well, I've had two interactions with her mother, one before Kimberly got caught and then one after. And so I talk about that during this episode of Found. Like I said, you never know what you're going to run into when you do a podcast like this. You never know. So if that sounds like something that is interesting to you, go to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast and sign up at the $5 level. Uh, Dark says, reminds me of those auditors who go around looking to antagonize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, when it comes to ethics and reporting, the reason I'm not here to brag, but the reason you get the most in-depth disappearance coverage on Unfound is because I'm discreet. That's why. That's why. Shelly, being that she's in this chat, she knows uh, I spoke to her and her husband, Daryl, twice before we did an, an official interview. And nothing that was said in those prior conversations will ever be made public. Now, granted, a lot of the information from those couple, you know, those, those two conversations have were, went into the official interview. But when I give somebody my word that their, their words and everything are not going to be made public, I mean it. Because I want these people to trust me. I am a good guy. All right, I am a good guy. 
And, and I want these people to trust me because I am a trustworthy individual. And I tell them, the only thing that's ever going to be on the record between us is the official interview. Anytime we talk before or after is going to be off the record, unless you give me permission to say something. So, and the problem is that I think too many, and and not just in true crime, in too many reporting disciplines, they're just too damn eager to get stuff out there. Just too damn eager. And to go back um, to a a saying that uh, was used in the movie Rounders, you can shear a sheep many times, but you can skin it only once. And what these people do is they don't care about the ramifications. They just want to profit and gain attention now, today. They don't care about tomorrow. Not convinced of that at all. If they were concerned about tomorrow, they wouldn't do things the way they're doing it. I plan on being around here for a while. So that's the way I do things. Um Hazel, appreciate you, Ranzi. Uh, good evening. Hey, hello, Angie. What's Angie? What's going on with you? Hazel, appreciate your principles in dealing with the missing. Just saw your interview with Mara's sister, Julie. Oh, that was a good one. Uh, yeah, uh, it's amazing, Hazel, that, uh, of course, Mara Murray's disappearance has been covered, like, what, a thousand times now? And people still say, who are familiar with her disappearance, that's still the most in-depth interview I've ever heard regarding Mara's disappearance. And so thank you, Hazel. Uh, Twinkle, Hazel, I've also, I've also followed Brianna Maitland and many others missing. My heart really goes out to these families. I want you to know, Hazel, that I've reached out to Brianna's family. They've never gotten back to me. I don't know if my assistant Emily has done that, but they've never gotten back to us. That's, that happens. That's, I'm, I'm not... It's not saying anything derogatory. That's very common. Uh, uh, yeah, last week, I read about Brandon last week. Yes. Uh, Kathy likes to study ahead. Rockford, dark, great analogy. Both can do a tremendous public service when done ethically and a horrible disservice when done irresponsibly. It was a great interview with Mara's sister. Thank you. Very informative. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, another thing is uh, I did an interview for the website Canvas Rebel. So C-A-N-V-A-S-R-E-B-E-L.com. Don't ask me where they got the name. CanvasRebel.com. Uh, I am featured on there uh, for this week or this month or something. So if you'd like to see uh, the interview that I did there, it's really a weird interview. They just send you a bunch of questions and you type it all out. So uh, you can see what I had to say there. And it was really mostly about uh, all of the Steve Panky stuff. But I also wrote wrote a little bit about keeping a podcast going and everything. So uh, you can go to canvasrebel.com. It just came out, I think, today or yesterday. And you can check that out. And um, maybe been on there before. I, I forget. I think maybe they have been on there before. They they do a, a lot of different things there. Moving on, um, Dr. Telesco, in a few weeks, I will – I don't know. We're still not sure if I'm actually going to be going down there uh, in person yet. But certainly uh, come September 14th, which is a Thursday, she and I will be discussing the murder of Tyler North. 
And as I spoke in the update episode, that, I think that trial is going to be maybe happening in November. But we're going to be discussing the disappearance and what we now know to be a mur- the murder of Tyler North. So all of you should be looking forward to that. That'll be over on Dr. Telesco's uh, YouTube channel, which of course is affiliated with Nova Southeastern University. And one more thing that came up today, uh, when is it? February 20th, which is a Wednesday, uh, or not, no, September 20th, February, September 20th, uh, so not quite a month from now, that's a Wednesday morning, I will be going over to Florida Southern College again to do a presentation over there to some students. You might remember that I went over there a year ago, really enjoyed it. It's right over there in Lakeland. It's not that far of a drive. Really had a good time over there, but I'm going to be speaking in a different professor's uh, class this time. So um, looking forward to it, but I think I'm going to be in the same classroom. Different professor, same classroom. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to probably tweak the presentation at least a little bit, um, but I will make sure that uh, there will be time at the end for questions and uh, certainly I'll play some of that. I'll make some of it. I don't know if all of it, but some of it available on this YouTube channel for all of you to watch at your convenience. So I'm very excited about that. And I think I also might be going to Florida international again later this year, maybe November or something. So I'm very pumped up. You know how much I enjoy doing those presentations. So, uh, there you go. A lot of things going on here. Um, Kathy agrees with uh, Spleen, and uh, Shelly says it's hard for families to talk when they find their loved ones. Yeah, and I'm from Harlan. Uh, Angie says I'm from Harlan County, Kentucky. That was just a crazy situation. Yeah, you know, uh, Angie, uh, being that you're from that area, was it not fairly clear from the beginning that there was foul play there? How do you remember it? Um. This may be get, uh, a local's point of view. And you should know I have another local there who off the record uh, kind of keeps tabs on what's going on in the lead up to this uh, trial and everything. So uh, there's somebody else in the Harlan County area that messages me once in a while on Facebook. And uh, I thank her for doing that. Uh, absolutely, Angie, you're saying absolutely foul play. Okay, so it was pretty obvious to you. Um, interesting. All right, let's get to these um, couple other questions. Stephanie sent these to me um, after last, uh, maybe it was last Wednesday or something, a couple days after the last live show. There are two questions. One is non-true crime and one is kind of true crime. So I'm going to do the non-true crime one first, and I'm going to try to be uh, at least uh, a little quick about it. Stephanie asked me, did you move to Las Vegas because you had already been hired by Star Trek or did you move and then find that work? Uh, Stephanie, if you were out there listening, actually, I did not move to Las Vegas to join Star Trek. In fact, Star Trek had just opened. I think it opened in January of 1998. I uh, moved to Las Vegas in May of 98. But no, I did not start working at Star Trek until May of 2000. So it had been open for a little over two years. 
um, before I got hired there. And it was completely, uh, completely, completely, completely on a whim. Uh, just to give you a, a rundown, some of you have heard this. When I first moved to Las Vegas, I worked for 7-Eleven. Worst job I ever had. Horrible, 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 horrible. And I got crazy, crazy, crazy stories from doing that job for 10 months. Then some of them in some older, much older live show episodes, I've talked about some of those stories. I quit that job in April. I worked there from like July 98 to like April of 99. Kind of took some time off. Then ended up becoming the office manager for the Cine Vegas Film Festival. And I did that job. I started out as a volunteer and then I got a paid position from like about July of 99 through like January of 2000. Really loved that job. We got to know a lot of filmmakers. And that's really how I became a filmmaker by being involved there. Working right on the strip, right at the corner of Tropicana and Las Vegas Boulevard. What a wild time. I, I look back on these years. I was like 29 years old. A fantastic time. Just so good. It was so good. And, um, you know, you look back, there's no stress, nothing. It was just incredible time hanging out by the pool, going to work for a film festival. I mean, you know, but then the film festival kind of disbanded for a little bit. So I'd find something else to do. I did production assistant work, which I also in the end ended up hating. Not as much as the 7-Eleven though. So I would worked on I worked on a stunt show for a lot. I worked on a couple movies. You know the movie Pay It Forward with Helen Hunt and Kevin Spacey. I worked on that movie. I worked on a couple of episodes of that show uh, called Las Vegas, not Vegas with Dantana, but a more updated version from like early two thousands. Um, worked on a couple shows for the Home Garden Network. I worked on some commercials. All sorts of things. But I got sick of it. It really, it really did not fit in with the type of people who do that. And so I was looking for something else to do, but I knew I wanted to stay in entertainment somehow. And believe it or not, this is back when newspapers still had one ads in them. I was looking through the Las Vegas Review Journal, and I would get one like not every day, but once a week just to go through the one ads looking for something that really just caught my eye, something interesting to do with my life and everything. And there it was, Star Trek's looking for actors in the newspaper. I thought, you know, I have a little acting experience from high school. I'm a performer. I played the piano up in front of a bunch of people. Uh, I'm a little bit of a ham anyway, as all of you can tell. Um, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I had been to the experience as a customer before I moved to Las Vegas. I had actually gone on vacation there before moving there, and it had just opened. And I thought, heck with it. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to fill out an application and see what happens. They were looking for performers. So great. I, you know, it's one of those things you think back, did I really do that? It was just on a whim. And I went in, I was filling out the paperwork and the woman who was running the experience at the time, her name was Barb. Yeah. 
she saw me filling it out. She came out, and I didn't really know who she was, but I could tell she was kind of in an official position. She came out, and I'm filling it out, and she starts talking to me. And she's asking me about my experience. Do you have any experience? Not really. Do you know? Not really. No. She goes, well, you know, I really don't know. You know, she really just told me right straight out. I really don't, you know, know if you're really, you know. I said, well, I tell you what. I've already filled this out. You put it in there. If there's going to be auditions or whatever, I'll show up and we'll just see what happens. I, I remember telling her that. <laughs> so crazy. 20, uh, 29 years old. And so I left it there a couple days later. Get the call. This is before I even had a cell phone. Get the call. Here's the auditions. You have to have a monologue ready. And you're going to have to do some improv and everything else. And I had an improv. I had a, a monologue. It was uh, Emilio Estevez's um, Emilio Estevez's monologue from The Breakfast Club, where he's talking about taping that kid's butt cheeks together. That's the monologue I did for my audition at Star Trek in May of 2000, 23 years ago. That's the monologue I did from the breakfast club. It was perfect. I could relate so much to it. And I thank my friend Shannon. She had a monologue book and I went through, so once again, this just shows you how long it was ago, 23 years ago, I'm going through a book to find a monologue. And I picked that one out and I nailed it. I abs, I practiced so hard and I nailed it, did pretty good on the improv. And I was just looking for a, part-time position. I wasn't even looking for like 40 hours a week. I thought, you know what? If I get maybe 20 hours there and I can put that with maybe doing something else part-time and everything, this will be fine. Remember, the woman told me to not even bother because she didn't think that I had the experience enough or anything. I ended up, there were, there were eight guys, there were eight or nine, 10 performers that were hired. And I was one of only four that got a full-time position. I was so pumped up. And it's still, next to doing this podcast, it's still one of the best experiences of my life. I made so many friends there. I had a lot of growing up to do at that time. I did a lot of growing up when I worked at Star Trek. And I think that the person you see now, when you hear the podcast, when you see me in this live show, all of that was crafted from those four and a half years at Star Trek. Absolutely. 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 In fact, dare I say, had you'd met me, you know, you know, mid nineties, even moving, going up to me, moving to Las Vegas, a little bit of a different person, a little bit different, but I really felt like I came into my own right around the age of 30, working with some people who, some of my best friends to this day, Foster, Foster, Shay, April A. Bear, who I appeared on a podcast a couple years ago, um, Carl, and I mean, just so, so many people that were fantastic people that I, that worked there. Just, just changed my life. Absolutely changed my life by answering a want ad, just on a whim, want, answering a want ad in the paper. Never could have imagined it, ever. 
And it's, it's just had such a positive influence on my life. You can't even imagine it. It was fantastic work there. Great benefits. You didn't get paid a lot. Wasn't that hard to work though, really. But you had fantastic health and dental and, and all those things, 401k plan and everything else. But like I said, you weren't going to get rich working there. But it was fantastic. So, uh, Stephanie, that is the Star Trek story. Let's see what everybody's uh, saying here. Uh, also, Harlan County, I'm talking about Harlan County. Lots of good info uh, about Paul. Um, Mary says, you know, speaking of movies and actors, totally I realize I think you look like in the pic with shorter hair. Looks like Emily Hirsch, Emil Hirsch. Not sure in spelling there, but yeah, Into the Wild with Ed D. Yeah, I posted a picture of me with shorter hair on Facebook today, uh, like from nine years ago. Oh, everybody's talking about that. that is so cool and neat. Mary says, good for you, dude. Thank you. Uh, Lori says, Jason Bateman. Yes, uh, if you don't know, um, some years ago now, might have been 2015, coincidentally in Orlando where I'm going this weekend, I showed up at a disc golf tournament in Orlando in 2015 and a couple players there thought I really was Jason Bateman. True that 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 happened. <laughs> that happened. And I actually had to pull out my ID to show that I wasn't. That is a true story. Now right now with the long hair and anything and you know um Really don't, but yeah, I've seen him recently. We still kind of have some of the same mannerisms and everything, but really his, his nose is really different from mine. I got kind of the ski slope nose. He does not. That's the big difference. Otherwise, uh, I see what many of you are, are talking about, but yeah, uh, I showed up at a disc golf tournament and people thought I was Jason Bateman. It's so, it's so crazy. My life's so crazy. So, um, uh, Jason Bateman with Little House on the Prairie. That's funny, Kathy. Uh, I associate him now with, with a movie, uh, Game Night. That movie he was in with, from a few years ago. That's, I love that movie, Game Night. Uh, Mary says, that would be an awesome experience and it helped you get into your calling then. Yeah, and from Star Trek, kind of just got a little burnout on it. I think needed to move on to something else after four and a half years. And that's when I ended up being coming a, a stage manager for a magic show and the Rat Pack show also had that job where I was fixing printers. I was working that during the day and then doing stage managing at night. Also fantastic time. Really, really good time. Worked with a lot of great people there too, but Star Trek, as far as Las Vegas work goes, still number one, just, just crazy, crazy. As far as uh, Stephanie's other question, it was after um, she asked, what do I think about TWA Flight 800? I want your what your thoughts are on the crash and the final NTSB report. Uh, Stephanie, once again, if you are out there, uh, I am a person who believes that absolutely that it was blown up due to the center fuel tank having a spark in it. The issue, you know, for those conspiracy theorists out there, well, it got shot down by a missile and everything else. What they refuse to recognize is that this is not the first time that a plane has blown up due to this. This one just got a lot of attention because it was a 747, because there were people who saw it falling from the sky, 
because it was flying out of New York. And of course, New York had just had the terrorist attack in 1993. There were a lot of things that come together. But seriously, if you do a Google search, you will find there are other jets that have blown up or burned, some while flying, some while seated on the runway, do this exact same thing. They make it out as this is like a one of a concurrence, never has happened before. And it's not true. And so when people do that, you should automatically be suspicious of this. They're just lying. They're just lying. Um, it's just not that unusual. Yeah. Uh, and of course, these days, any sort of big plane crash is unusual. We haven't had what? Um, a major jet crash with killing many, many people in some years now. So even that is rare now. But when it comes to fuel tank issues and sparking issues, uh, you know, uh, electrical line issues, this is common. Fires have started this way on planes. Maybe they didn't get to the central fuel tank, but there have certainly been passenger jets where wiring went bad and the plane simply burned in the air, just burned to ashes in the air. It happens. So... Um, the other thing that I, you know, just, you know, there's a big cover up. Do you know how many people would have been needed to cover that all up and look the other way and, and everything? It's just, I, I think the people, the reason people continue to think this way is because they just want something to talk about. When you create a conspiracy like that, suddenly you become a focal point. Suddenly you're getting all of the attention. And what do you start realizing? If I change my mind, I'm not going to get as much attention and my ego can't handle that. So I got to keep this up. That's my attitude, um, you know, for all these types of things. And dare I say JFK and September 11th and all of this stuff. It's all crazy. If you do any sort of critical thinking on any of this, you know how thin, you know, thin, thin, thin these theories, theories are. And, and we can contrast this like with the Malaysia or not 370, but Malaysia Flight 17 that got shot down uh, over Ukraine some years ago, actually just, you know, just months after the Malaysian Airlines Flight 370 disappeared. They did an investigation, and guess what they found out? Yes, it had been shot down. So they can do investigations over in Ukraine and Russia and figure out and make it public that that plane was shot down. But here in the United States, we just want to cover things up. Whereas traditionally, Russia, Ukraine, that part of the world, they love to cover stuff up. But here, they're all being very straightforward with this. But here in the United States, we're, we're switching around. It makes no sense. It just, it, it just doesn't. So, um, but because of Flight 800, flying has gotten safer. What did they end up doing? They ended up going through all of those old Boeing 747s and checking for wiring problems. And guess what they found? Tons of them. And that's why you haven't seen a 747 get blown out of the sky since. And it has made air travel safer. Now, as far as little you know, Cessnas and everything, still just as dangerous as ever. But when you get on a passenger plane in the United States today in 2023, it is the safest mode of travel anywhere in the world. And it's because of 
learning about plane crashes, why they happen, being honest about them, and not buying into all of these conspiracy theories. You get to understand these things. You can fix them. This is one of the problems. This is why so many times I draw this big comparison between plane crashes and the investigation of them and disappearances. I talk about this a lot because I have a lot of experience with plane crashes too because I love to read about them. I love, you know, I don't know why it is, but well, really going back, I got into it because I had a fear of flying and I thought, well, why do planes fall out of the sky? And that's what got me into plane crashes. But what you learn is if you really take an interest in something that is bad and you want to fix it and you do a lot of critical thinking and really, really getting down to the nuts and bolts of why these things happen, you can make a bad thing stop happening. But as long as you're going to buy into conspiracy theories, those problems will continue. Plane crashes will continue. Same way with disappearances. The only way you can stop them, solve them, and everything else is understanding them. Being like the NTSB, getting in there, understanding them, and that's, and without legislation, of course, you have to take a personal, heartfelt interest in them. There's so many similarities between plane crashes and disappearances. So um, that's what I think on that. But like, uh, but I, as I'll continue to say, it's very much like if we were to think that every plane crash was some sort of conspiracy theory, you know, bomb, missile, terrorist attack, or, or whatever else, with no proof of that, all of these issues that were really mechanical issues or whatever else, they would have continued to keep happening. Think about that. And so with disappearances, if you really get down to that, if you really want to take an interest in them, instead of just not really understanding them at all, which I don't unfortunately think much of the public does, it's one of the reasons they don't get solved at a faster clip or a higher percentage and why people go, go missing for years instead of just weeks or days. And that's the way it'll continue to happen because we don't understand it because a lot of people don't understand it, especially people, people who are in a position to do something about it. Um, but, oh, yes, Jason Bateman, too, Mary said, laughing. So cool, and he's good looking. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, he was in Ozark. That's right. Never watched it. Uh, could you imagine the wealth and fame someone would get for exposing an errant missile that hit a passenger plane? Right. That's why I have a conspiracy theories it never holds up. I don't know. Uh, you're right, Rockford. I don't know my any movie stars, but a shorter hair pick on Facebook. I just instantly thought Emil Hirsch. I'll have to look him up. I don't know who he is. Remember the men with the plane headed to the oil Ohio plane crash? They were going there for an oil spill, I think. Remember the plane with the men headed to Ohio plane crashed? Uh, it, it vaguely rings a bell, Lori. I'm sorry, but I was cooking and I have ADD. What plane crash is that talking about? Flight 800. Uh, TWA flight 800 taking off from JFK headed to Europe blew up, blew up off of long Island sound. And eventually they determined the reason it did that is because there was a spark in a wire on the plane. The spark eventually found its way into a mechanism in the center fuel tank where there were, where there were gas fumes and it blew up. 
flight TW800. And really, that is the really the plane crash that caused TWA to um, kind of fold off. Of course, TWA doesn't exist anymore. That was really the disaster that put TWA out of business. Kind of like the same way with Pan Am when Pan Am 103 blew up over Lockerbie, Scotland due to a terrorist attack. Same thing with Pan Am. Never recovered. Rockford says, a lot easier to fix wiring on a plane than it is human beings, though. That's why it's easier to prevent plane crashes compared to disappearances. Yep. Still got to, you know, you want to be amazed. Any of you want to be amazed, just go to Wikipedia and start looking up plane crashes. And just um, just plane crashes for commercial airlines in the United States within all of our lifetime, the 1970s and 80s. You will be shocked how many have occurred. But then you look at today and none occurred. It's shocking how much has changed in aviation in the last 50 years. Uh, I want to talk about the woman who reappeared. An Oakland woman reported missing nearly eight years ago has been found apparently safe and well, according to the Oakland Police Department. I'm going to ask all of your opinions on this, so listen, please listen closely. Lisa Hugh reached out to local law enforcement claiming she was never missing and that she had been aware, she had been unaware any report had been filed regarding her missing person's status. Someone reported her missing, but she actually wasn't missing at all. If someone is reported missing, we are obligated by law to follow up and try to locate them. A spokesman for the Oakland Police Department told People Magazine, yeah, okay. Uh, Lisa Hugh, 31, now, was first reported missing on December 8th of 2015. Oakland Police did not disclose to People who filed the initial report. At the time, the missing persons report was filed. Uh... Lisa Hugh was in her early 20s. She was last seen on the 900 block of 34th Street in the Hoover Foster neighborhood of Oakland, located in Northern California's Bay Area. Her family claimed at the time of her disappearance that she was in good physical and mental condition. According to the representative for the Oakland Police Department, Hugh's missing person report was considered an ongoing missing case. To get more leads is why we pushed it out. While it is not known how who was found out she was on a missing persons list, she later came forward and notified the department that she was not missing. Authorities have since removed Hugh from the missing persons list after she was identified and confirmed as safe. While law enforcement did not share where Hugh might have been for the past eight years, they did confirm she was neither harmed nor, nor held captive in any way. Oakland police told People Magazine that now who has come forward to the department to confirm she is live and well. She would prefer to be left alone. She wants privacy now. So I'm going to ask all of you, what do you think happened? What's going on with this Lisa Hugh person? She, she, something happened in 2015, and now she's coming forward in the last couple weeks to say she is alive and well. What, do you all, what are all of you thinking as to the reason for her alleged disappearance. What are you thinking? Now, while you're thinking about this, so I'm taking a poll of the chat room tonight. What do you think went on here? Just give us uh, what you think you know about disappearances. I'm really not sure what to think. That's why I'm asking. Um, 
uh, all of you. So what do you think? She Somebody files a missing reports and report in 2015. She comes forward in 2023 to say, nope, I was never missing. Not that she was just missing for a little bit and then reappeared. She was never missing. What is going on? Now, you should know as you're typing out your answers, I did a little bit of homework. I went to Google, did a, a, a custom search for a particular area of time. Not one article was ever written about Lisa Hughes' disappearance between 2015 and 2022. Not one. She was never on the trolley project. She, it doesn't seem, maybe she was on name as if she was, her name has already been taken off there. I checked her name is not on there now. However, I don't know if she was ever on there. I also did a newspapers.com search for Lisa Hugh. Nothing. So nothing on the Charlie project, nothing on newspapers.com, nothing on Google. And so what I also tried to do is tried to look her up, you know, you know, um, kind of her vitals when she was born, where was she living and all of this a little tough to do. There are a lot of Lisa Hughes out there. Even in, of course, you know, of course we know a lot of Asians live in California. So it's hard to kind of even narrow it down, even with the location or age. So I really can't really figure out if there was really any paper trail of her between 2015 and 2023. Of course, the big question is how did she, after all these years, even find out that she was somebody considered her to be missing? We don't know. Or if somebody knows that the police know, they aren't saying. Sucks. (laughs) As a person who studies disappearances, I would like to know this. What went on here really uh hard to say you know how did she we don't even know how she figured out that she was on a missing persons list now uh, you should know though we've run into this before although i did not write down um the guy's name remember for the jason jokowski disappearance that there was another young man who went missing around the same time in omaha nebraska in 2001. Remember that? Remember that kind of maybe it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that now. And so, and, and in fact, if you go back and listen to the interview I did with Jason's mother way back in 2016, we even talk about it. Well, that one was also a situation where that guy did not realize all these years later. And so, you know, here we're talking about what eight years this guy. It was like 18 years before he figured out that he was still on the missing persons list in the state of Nebraska. And guess what? He wasn't missing. Uh, And it was somebody who contacted me. You know, it's been like maybe four years or something now that figured out where this guy was. Spectacular work. Spectacular spectacular work a plus and uh the this person who ended up figuring this out sent me this guy's facebook page and there he was so what happened was he had gone missing for a little bit yes back in 2001 for whatever reason but then he came back to his life and continued to live it 
not knowing that he had never been taken off of the missing persons list. So, of course, being that he came back uh, and is living a regular life now, not, you know, he's not, um, he's among civilization, I guess you might say. You know, of course, he is then not considered to be connected to Jason Jolkowski's disappearance. So we've kind of run into this thing before. Somebody who's on a missing persons list who technically is not missing anymore. But even in this case, this guy admitted, yeah, you know what? I was missing for a little bit. I did kind of go off the grid for a little bit. With this, with Lisa Hugh, we just don't know. So what? Is everybody thinking here regarding Lisa Hughes' disappearance? Uh, I want to go back to talking about, oh, what the heck, terrible, or when the plane crashed, all those experts going to the train wreck, I definitely thought it smelled fishy. Oh, that, kind of remember that. I'll have to look that up. I think she just wanted a space from family, Carrie's saying about Lisa Hugh. Family couldn't contact her, so they reported her. Uh, Twinkle says she think Twinkle says uh, Lisa, you took off with a boyfriend. Um, Sarah says I believe she needed time away from the situation. Uh, no article would be easy for her to never know about the report. I know Carrie, so how did she find out about this? Bowling, I wonder if she had social media under a different name. Carrie says she probably had contact with law enforcement for whatever reason and found out later. Kathy, something to do with a name mix-up. Oakland is a huge city across the bay from San Francisco. Did she ever not use her social security number? Don't know, Kathy. Good point. The real she may have never known she was reported missing. That that happened to an old friend of mine, and he was listed as missing for the most best part of a year. Certainly not eight years there. Um so in your friend's case, the real, who did report him missing and why? Rockford. Former Bay Area resident here. That's a rough part of Oakland where she was last seen. My hypothesis is that she was caught up in an illegal profession and now has gone legit. So Rockford being from the area, giving us the local flavor, uh, that's his insight. Carrie, not every agency checks for activity on social security number, only if requested or a diligent department. Mark in Indy sounds like she wanted to be left alone and quit having any contact with her family or others she knew. Family reported her missing, thinking any contact she may eventually have with law enforcement would find her. Delane, he found him by a vehicle search, didn't he? Going back to the Jason Joskowski connected disappearance. I forget, Delane. Uh, what this guy ended up figuring out was that the name that was on Namus was not the complete name. What I think the first guy's first name was Sam's. But what they were using as his last name was actually his middle name. When they filled out the paperwork on Namus, and this just shows you how mistakes can be made, they used the middle name as the last name. And so that's why nobody could figure out, you know, we're doing like searches on these databases. There's not even a guy with that name coming up in that area. Well, because his that wasn't his last name. That was his middle name. And somehow that person figured that out. It's just, it's really good. That is real. I've never heard about her reappearing. Well, maybe she was seeing a guy and he wasn't well liked by her family. So she ran off with him and kept distance from fam and friends. Uh, Carrie, people don't understand. People do not get taken off missing persons list until law enforcement verifies they are who they say they are. How did she, old was she when she went missing? Early 20s bowling. 
Carrie, good thing someone just can't just make a phone call and say I'm safe. It would make it easier. It certainly would. Glenn, I could see me being reported missing because I go through periods of just not speaking to family and friends. Well, that's just sad, Delaney. I think family he hadn't seen in contact with for ages tried to get in touch due to some kind of family situation to death, maybe. And when they couldn't find him, they reported him missing. Delane says, remember, she remembers this guy connected to Jason Kolchokowski. Now, Rockford, whenever I hear, hear about someone who seems out of place in an area from where last seen or that person frequented, I go to a leak activity. So Rockford's kind of saying Lisa might have been a prostitute at that time, or maybe she had gotten sex trafficked or something. And now she's not doing that anymore. Okay, Rockford, I'll go along with your local knowledge. Yeah, and MT comes up uh, with the Sam Sherman. That's right, MT. Look at you, MT. You get a gold star tonight, uh, MT. That was the guy's name, Sam Sherman. Everybody was thinking Sherman is his last name. Nope. Sherman was his middle name. That was fantastic. I remember that day when I got that message. I was just blown away. I was like, that is so good. So good. Such great work. So, so impressed. So, um, that took that part of that mystery away from, of course, that made Jason Drakowski's disappearance even stranger. <laughs> By finding out what happened to somebody else, you find out that Jason Drakowski's disappearance, it just gets that more rare. You know, at least with Sam, you know, we're thinking maybe. Did they know each other? Was there some guy cruising around picking up guys or, you know, and Sam and Jason got picked up or something. And now we know that's not what happened, you know, together anyway. Rockford, indeed, what I'm saying, or perhaps drug lab either would fit that area. Okay. So Rockford saying uh, that address that I just read off for Lisa Hugh, bad news, that area. Okay. Um, one, uh, what do we got? Six minutes. One more. One more. Uh, I'm not going to read the article, but maybe because uh, it's a little long. But these two women who have gone missing in a Colorado resort area. Have you have you seen this article? Um, two women have vanished just weeks apart from a popular Colorado resort area. Melissa Witsit. W-H-I-T-S-I-T-T, 34, was reported missing on August 13th after she failed to show up for a job at, re- at a resort in Winter Park. Whitsitt, who moved from Tennessee to Colorado for the job, was last seen earlier that day on Woodspur Lane. Of course, the, con- the concerning thing about this is that an unknown man was using her, fa- her phone after she went missing. So... That doesn't sound good. Of course, in Brandon Roberts' situation, that's exactly what happened with him, and he ended up being alive. So, But on the same day that she was last seen, police also announced that 55-year-old, 55-year-old Svetlana, fantastic name, by the way, Svetlana, Svetlana Ustamenko had gone missing just weeks earlier in the Dead Horse Trailhead area of the Rapahoe National Forest in nearby Frazier. Fraser and Winter Park are both located in Colorado's Grand County, a popular destination for outdoor enthusiasts. I can say that. Enthusiasts with its hiking and mountain bike trails, lakes and rivers, natural hot springs. 
Yusumenko's rental car was located in late July at the trailhead. The vehicle was supposed to return on August 10th. Authorities said the two cases are not related and appear to be isolated incidents with no threat to the community. Now, the concerning thing about Svetlana is it says in this article that she was recently diagnosed with a terminal illness. So if you've seen this uh, headline, maybe you haven't taken some time to read actually into the story or anything. You see these two women missing from Colorado, very close to each other. I will tell you at this point, it does not seem to me that they are related. It certainly could be in the, the one Melissa's case that it could be foul play. Certainly could be. But in this other ones with Svetlana, being that she had been diagnosed and it says she was struggling as she tried to cope, I can't imagine it. 55 years old, does that mean she had cancer or something? Or did she have like, you know, maybe got diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease or something? But uh, at this point, it just doesn't seem to me that these two are connected. Um. Bowling, going back to Lisa Hugh, I think maybe she stayed missing because of cultural clashes. Okay, Bowling Mary. When I said it's sad, I mean, I, they thought she was missing, but she was gone only by choice so many years as they didn't know. Couldn't imagine, yeah. I know, Mary. Yeah, to uh, just don't know. People do that. It's not. I, I don't think it's that common. I'm certainly open to the idea regarding going back to Lisa Hugh. I guess I'm open to maybe a couple disappearances that we've covered on Unfound where that might have happened. That people just didn't want to be around their families anymore, didn't like their situation or, or something. Of course, I think it would be inappropriate for me to really maybe name names like that. I don't mind naming missing people when I think it's foul play. But when I have an, an idea that maybe that was a walk-off to start a new life or something, I really try to keep those kind of close to the vest to be honest, but, um, but I still think that, that it's rare and without knowing more about Lisa Hugh and everything, it's really, it's really impossible to say, but that's why I kind of put it out to you. What do, you know, what do all of you think uh, about this? What, what strikes you? All right. So that's really um, the things that I wanted to cover uh, tonight. So let's go to Friday. If you don't know, every Friday on Unfound, or every first Friday of September of Unfound, we consider that to be the anniversary of Unfound because the first episode of Unfound came out on the first Friday of September of 2016. So this Friday, which is September 1st, that will be the seventh anniversary. And the way I do that, I don't know if any other podcast, YouTube channel do this. I do it, but I will be replaying the first interview I ever did for Unfound, and that is with uh, a woman who's become a very, very good friend now, Mary Lyle. Once again, play the interview. The first interview, I remember I was at my parents'. I remember doing that interview. I would close the door to my mom and my, my parents' bedroom in their place in Pennsylvania to do that interview. I had the recording stuff sitting on the bed. I was sitting in a chair beside the bed. That is how I interviewed Mary Law, the first interview I ever did for Unfound. And now I'm done. 
And so it's always going to be a special one. And so you'll hear that one and you'll see how far maybe I've come as an interviewer. And I will put in some new commentary before and after the interview plays. So that will be this Friday. And as I've already said, uh, the week after that, September 8th, being that Shelly uh, has been in the uh, chat tonight, you will see and hear her and her husband talk about the disappearance of their uh, son, Brandon. And then September 15th will be another disappearance interview that's already been done. So that's all I got uh, for tonight. Once again, please give this a thumbs up. Or if you're on Facebook, uh, like it over there as well. Please consider uh, supporting Unfound if you like the content on this YouTube channel, on Facebook, the podcast, everything we do, the website, theunfoundpodcast.com, everything. Please consider supporting Unfound either patreon.com or PayPal or becoming a member uh, by hitting the join button on the YouTube channel and uh, or go to our store unfound-podcast.myspreadshop.com. A lot of different ways you can show your support for what we do here if you like this content. Everybody, thank you for taking some time out of your Monday night. Really appreciate it. And for all of you people who may be listening to this as an audio, uh, as a podcast, which will come out on Tuesday, August 29th, thank you all for subscribing there. And you will hear me on Friday. Good night, everyone. And Charlie, say hi to the boys for me. And Sheree, thank you for moderating tonight. Good night. <laughs>